Hi, welcome to another week of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. We have a special guest this week, Jeff Waldman, um, who's recently, recently wrote a book about tools, cool tools. <laughs> and we're, we'll hear about that at the end, but right now I want Jeff, if you could just introduce yourself. Sure. First. Uh, I'm Jeff Waldman, a um, little bit of a designer, builder, I guess now author, given this book. Um, yeah, just making stuff with my hands. It's kind of my thing. And um, you're located in the Bay Area. That's right. right. Right now you're calling in from your studio workshop in Oakland, California. That is right. I live in San Francisco. Uh, got a little... Mm, studio workshop multidisciplinary thing that i share with some friends in oakland and then uh, i've also got a sort of retreat space property that my wife and i and my friends have been building out in the santa cruz mountains great well we're very glad to have you particularly since you've taken kind of a tour through the toolverse all yeah. the tools and um so out of all these things that you've seen and the stuff that you use for in your own work um what's a what's a favorite tool of yours Oh, I've got a whole bunch of them, uh, sure. but I brought in a few to talk about today. First one we're going to talk about is screws. And this is going to start to sound like an infomercial for GRK screws. Uh, it's not. They've never paid me. Uh, I wish they would send me free screws. But <laughs> of the many tens of thousands I've purchased, uh, they've all been purchased by me. So. We all use screws to put stuff together. I'm sure. I mean, you've been making things for a long time. Uh, do you remember maybe like a handful of decades back, if you built something with screws, they were pretty brittle. They would break. You wouldn't want to use them structurally. It's why we frame houses with nails. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that. So these days we've got improved metallurgy uh, and I'm holding up a box here of GRK screws for a little brand recognition. And is GRK a brand or is that the, the type? It is a brand. So just to kind of get into some of what makes these screws special for starters uh instead of your old style phillips head screw that has a tendency to cam out and strip or a flathead that never works very well these have your torx drive or your star drive now you'll see these on a lot of screws um, most of your decking screws now have torx on them uh, automotive parts all kinds of things have torx so it's not specific to grk grk is a brand of screw and i've tried all the brands of screws and i just have a lot to say about this one <laughs> it's just so much better um if you okay. got, so, you got so questions or should i just yeah, go into my spiel so, so that a little bit so yeah. the, the 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 um the phillips that everybody knows is kind of like a cross there the yeah. torx is looks more like an asterisk inside guys a lot of people call it a star drive star drive torx yeah. And you, you have a bit that does it. And the advantage of that, of course, is that it's much more secure and doesn't strip out anything like the Phillips or the flathead does. So no, there's a, I tell the story in the book, and I, mean, I think a lot of people who build are now a little bit familiar with it, but um, Phillips screws cam out and it's by design. Uh, when they were pioneered back in the day and made their way onto the automobile assembly lines, they found favor because they couldn't be over torqued. Somebody on the assembly line could crank it only just so before the screwdriver would slip out. Um, unfortunately, they found their way into being just about the most common screw there is, but 
they're not good. Um, they just strip out very easily. It's hard to gain purchase on them. So yeah, the, the Torx drive you're talking about, it just has more points of contact, more surface area by design. It's really meant to hold and not to strip. So would you, have you made the Torx drive sort of standard in your workshop beyond just sort of deck screws or other things just in general? Yes. Um, frankly, I've made GRKs the, uh, standard, but it's pretty much torques across the board. Occasionally, um, stainless steel fasteners, if I really need to use them, uh, they'll come with a Robertson drive or a square drive as it's sometimes called. Um, I think it has to do with the machining of the softer metal of the stainless, but by and large, it's just torques across the board. And do you have an opinion about the square drive, the Robertson square drive? Yeah, it works well. Ish. It certainly works better than Phillips, um, but I've had a lot of them uh, strip out on me. Mm -hmm. um, these screws with their Torx drive, uh, I was trying to do the math recently, and at least on the GRK framing screws, I've driven something like between 50 and 70,000 of them. Now, this speaks to the drive style a little bit, but it also speaks to this brand and what they produce. I have stripped, I feel confident in saying less than 10, and I've mm -hmm. never broken one of these. Mm -hmm. um it just performs better right. um, okay. and so you know we have a property where we're out building decks in the trees and cabins and um you have to put up a temporary scaffolding for this sort of thing ladders uh it's a sort of homestead where we're often building things and taking them apart and having a reusability to a screw where it's not stripping out and it actually mm -hmm. can retain its functionality um mm -hmm. not just as one-time use is very important have have these replaced nails in framing by this point? Almost entirely. Um, on some large volume things or stuff where I feel like I'm just never going to take this apart yeah. or I just want to breeze through it, I might use a nail gun or I might drive a few nails by hand. Um, these framing screws, uh, and these are uh, three and an eighth, eighth, in, eighth inch long, uh, mostly have replaced uh nails for me for framing in part because they do cost a little bit more but on a small project the yeah. cost is marginal but because you can undo your work right. and it's just a lot harder to undo nails and move them around what about like in um you know resident you know contractors just just kind of um, commercial contracting are they still using nails or have they also gone to screws uh, no, they're still using nails. It's really on smaller projects where somebody can uh, do the math on it and say, well, for the cost of this, once you start getting at scale, if you're building, you know, uh, an array of homes across a block, the nails are going to come out so much cheaper that I think that's what they're going for. And they're also moving at a, a pace that's a little bit less intentional and they're kind of flying through it with nail guns. Mm -hmm. When I'm building a, a one-off project, like a little cabin, it's a marginal cost difference. Mm -hmm. um, I'm being a little bit more slow about it, a little bit more deliberate. Right. And I like, so something that comes up frequently on our property is we're out there with friends, friends of friends. We're showing people how to build for the first time. And there's a lot of people that are just making mistakes. Um, it's nice to show them how to drive a nail, especially to drive a nail by hand. Uh, you don't want people to get too carried away with a nail gun because they start doing things they can't undo. But with screws, they can drive it. They can realize that they put that stud in the little wrong place or it kind of walked. They can undo it and they can move it. Um, and that's really helpful as a learning tool. Right. And are you using like an impact driver to drive these? Is yeah, generally. Um, drill as well, but impact works well. Um, yeah, these... Um, so tell me about the GRK version. Sure. Why are they superior to 
other uh, dick why aren't, why aren't they superior? All right. So what I'm holding in my hand is their standard uh, sort of framing screw. And I don't know what is so special about their metallurgy, but um, I've used other framing screws. I've used other premium ones, not to give SPACs a bad name, but they're another company that makes a supposedly kind of premium screw. I've stripped them and I've broken them. 50, 70,000 of these I've driven. I've broken zero and I've stripped maybe 10. Mm -hmm. Um, These are screws uh, in not being able to bend or twist or snap them off the trust that I'm able to put in it when I'm building a scaffolding and knowing that this thing that's kind of held together temporarily with two by fours isn't going where it's pretty big. Um, they have a little self-starting tip that has, uh, it has cuts into the sides of the threads the same way that a tap does. Starts into the wood easier, starts boring, does its job. There's actually some cutting heads, uh, you can't quite see on the video, but there's some cutting heads just under the head of the screw uh, to help countersink it in. And mm-hmm. if you go past their framing screw to something like this is their structural screw, which is a replacement for lags, where normally if you were driving a three eighths inch lag bolt, you would have to pre-drill the heck out of that. These you don't have to pre-drill. Uh, the rating for this screw for uh, to be pulled out of the wood is 6,000 pounds. Wow. Um, the International Building Code, ICC, they rate these... Uh, as being better than lags, they're a replacement for it. You can even use these as a replacement for through bolting, like with a carriage bolt. Um, just absolutely phenomenal numbers and just a lot of little attentions to detail. Like, you know, I don't know how much you can see on video, but the on this, these have an aggressive thread where the barrel of the screw is thinner, the thread is longer and deeper. And because of that, you're pushing less uh, metal through the wood. So the battery on your impact driver is going to last longer because there's less friction. They've got additional little cutting notches cut into the threads. So again, you don't have to pre-drill and it's just diving right in there. Um, They just perform phenomenally. And like I said, tens and tens of thousands of these haven't had any break stripped, you know, as much as I can count on my fingers um, and having used so many other ones, that's just uh, remarkably impressive. And um, so you mentioned that they were a little bit more expensive than nails, but how, how expensive are they? Uh, I'm trying to remember the price. I would have to look it up. It ends up being something like, you know, 20% more expensive or something to that effect. And it's, it adds up, but it depends on the size of your project. If you were going to have a project where you're going to spend, you know, $200 on nails, now you're spending, you know, $270 on nails right. or on screws. Um, at scale, it changes. Um, and then just to continue talking about them a little bit, these little tiny screws that the, they'll use that are um, headless ones that'll sink into the wood a little bit deeper. Like, like, uh, for, deck, like for decks? You can use this for deck. They make them for composite decks as well. Uh, it's a trim screw. Sorry. Um, trim, trim screw? Trim screw. Okay. So one of the issues you run into with other brands of trim screws, these are very tiny. What I'm holting in my hand is a little itty bitty thing that has a Torx driver of, I think it's a T15. And a very small start, head. Very, very, very small. And yeah. when you start getting into little metal uh, pieces of that size, it's real easy for them to break and strip apart. And this is where the manufacturing really starts to shine is the fact that you can take one of these little tiny screws, drive it in repeatedly, never strip it out, never break it. Um, On, you know, it's one of those things like 
anybody can kind of make a pretty decent large screw just because your your wiggle room is quite a bit bigger mm-hmm. but to manufacture something this small with tolerances that tiny that will still hold up to the abuse of an impact driver is quite impressive mm-hmm. okay yeah um i'm a convert they're they're really great i we have a mutual friend in lloyd Kahn, and uh, i sent him a, a bucket of these as a gift uh, not that long ago and i've done it with other friends as well and it seems that uh for folks that i send uh a variety of grk screws to once they start on them they don't go back <laughs> okay well i have a project in mind some scaffolding and so i may give it a try yeah um that's that's fabulous. Uh, I'm also, also interested in that you kind of converted to the Torx as a standard yeah. um, thing in a shop, which is, um, I mean, I don't know if you can get, can you get bolts and metric bolts and all kinds of stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I the, mean, through McMaster car, you can yeah. get anything. But these days, Torx, um, if, if not Torx, Hex when it comes to bolts, um, but there's some interchangeability there in terms of drivers. But Torx has kind of become the standard for a lot of things just because uh, it bites so well and it doesn't yeah. tend to strip out a lot of surface area. And the nice thing about, you know, I keep a T25 driver bit on my keychain anywhere what's on the property. Anywhere. What's, what's that? Uh, it's just a size of Torx that's fairly common. Oh, most, most of these framing screws you're going to get, most bolts, if they're in that kind of average usable size, there's a good chance it's a T25. Okay. And, you know, having converted everything over to that, um, knowing, to, just to know exactly what you need uh, to take something apart or to put it back together is, you know, the bit that's sitting on your keychain or probably already on your driver is sort of nice. Right. Well, fabulous. This is, uh, we went deep into screws, but... <laughs> Uh, that's the for me that's the wonderful thing of of learning about something that's superior yeah that, that you may not ever know you can't tell by walking down the aisle of home depot that these are going to be any better no you really can't um and it's it just is one of those things that comes with the knowledge of having driven a lot of them and broken yeah, a lot sure. of frustration <laughs> so um so tell me about your second tool second tool i'm kind of cheating it's actually two tools but they go together so what I have here in my hands are a tapered reamer and a tapered tenon cutter. Uh, both of these are made by Veritas. They're available for purchase from Lee Valley Tool. And a tapered reamer looks like a drill bit that is flared out wide uh, in the shape of a cone. And a tapered tenon cutter looks like a big pencil sharpener. And what these are used for is to make the joinery for putting together staked furniture. Um, joinery. What you say? Steak furniture? Steak. So you can use them for a, any joinery. I mean, if you want to make a socket and you want to make a peg and put them together. Um, right. What I'm talking about today where I use them is where they happen to really excel. Um, there's a really good book called The Anarchist Design Book that was written by Christopher oh. Schwartz. Um, do you know Christopher Schwartz? I don't. I think he was used to be the editor for Fine Woodworking or Popular Woodworking, okay. something like that. Anyway, he wrote this book, um, and in the book, most a good chunk of it deals with building um, what's called staked furniture. And staked furniture is an old style of furniture building. Um, what I really like about it, uh, I'm just barely starting to dabble in making furniture. I don't really know what I'm doing. It is a very approachable way to build strong furniture with a lot of forgiveness. So. Oh. What I have here in my hand is a steak stool. Ah, okay. 
Now, the way staked furniture works, I don't know if you can see, but the leg of the stool right. comes all the way up through the top of the stool. Right, the right. Stool. So, so, so to describe for people who may be listening, it's um, yeah. there's kind of a plank uh, stool, three-legged mm -hmm. stool, and the yeah. legs go into the bottom of the stool. So at the top of the stool where you would sit, there's three discs that, sh that show the end of the, the leg yeah. that has been cut off and smoothed. So what's going on in there is the leg of the stool as it goes into the top of the stool, the leg is tapered with right. pencil sharpener. Right. And it goes into a tapered socket in the stool seat. Mm. And because of that, instead of the joint being stressed over time when you're sitting on it, um, like if you have an old Windsor chair or something, those joints are always being stressed when you sit on them. Here, when you sit on the stool, you're compressing the joint. You're actually driving the tapered leg deeper into the tapered socket. Um, and I actually have a tapered leg here that I made the other day. So basically you just make a leg, you put it in the pencil sharpener, you drill some holes in a seat, you put this tapered reamer into the hole, and now you've got a tapered hole and a tapered leg. You shove them together with a little bit of glue and a wedge, and you've got a stool that's going to outlive many generations of you. Right, right, right. So the alternative is you would have a leg or a dowel that would be parallel. It would be kind of, you know, an exact mm -hmm. parallel fit. But the tapering um, is sort of self tightening in a yeah self-free and it's you know getting stronger over time when you put that exact fit in there what you're relying on is the glue and you're saying i hope that this is nice and tight and the glue holds it and it doesn't wiggle loose over time this can't wiggle loose over time because every time you're sitting on it you're just reinforcing that connection deeper okay. you know stronger great um so if you're like me and you're thinking i kind of would like to get into a little bit of furniture making maybe a stool maybe a chair maybe right. a table this I've found and in combination with that book is just a really foolproof way to slap something together that is absolutely bomb proof, a lot of forgiveness. Um, you know, you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of figuring out to drill a hole, uh, widen it with this tapered drill bit and then put a, you know, a, a pencil sharpened leg into it. Right. I'm just going to, um, put a little picture of this is the Lee Valley page where theirs are being sold. So they're about $54 for the tenants. Yep. And then for the tapered reamer, the, I think there's a, they sell two versions of it and the, the cheaper version is absolutely fine. Um, I think that's like 30 bucks or something. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, with those two tools, you can make um, furniture that will go last generations. And this is not just stools or chairs, but also tables. Yeah. I've got a couple tables at home that I made with it. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything that's got a leg. Uh huh. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Well, that's a great tool. So thank you. Um, yeah. And what's another third tool that um, you find a favor with? Third tool is one that uh, I think I actually read about on the Cool Tools blog some years back, <laughs> but I'm still going to talk about it. Um, and by the way, thank you for all the content over the years. Um, sure. And in this book, there are and a decent enough number of tools that made appearances in that book or blog that I, uh, uh -huh. I must admit I pulled from. Sure. Uh, so third tool for me is SketchUp. It is a design program, like a 3D CAD program. There are paid versions of it. There are still free versions available. I use the free version. It's um, SketchUp Make 2017. If you Google SketchUp uh, free version, it'll come up in the first link. 
And, you know, there's a lot of AutoCAD programs out there. Um, this is what I found to be uh, just the more approachable level that for me to transition from pen and paper, and I'm a terrible drawer, um, to designing something uh, in the computer, this was the, the path for me. And what I found is I can draw something on paper. And if you give me a ruler, I can kind of make it look okay. But ultimately, because I'm um, sometimes I'm designing furniture, but where I really got my start on it was um, designing things for our property. You're talking about sheds, cabins, outhouses, um, showers. And in working through all those different design iterations, it's a lot of erasing. It's a lot of playing with all the different lumber sizes. And in the case of our property where we were building things in the trees, we had to map redwood groves to build treehouse type construction. And to do that with a pen and paper, uh, I just found it to be very difficult. So I started using SketchUp and that allowed me to design every aspect of these builds, figure out, you know, to optimize it for, okay, I want my roofing to be exactly this length. I want to minimize my amount of cuts on plywood. Um, you can use it to model where the sun is coming in, depending mm -hmm. on the location of your property to see where it's casting through the windows. You can play with the textures and the colors. And ultimately for me, the biggest advantage wasn't actually the design process. So I'm, these days I'm a bit more of a competent builder, but like it's been a very gradual process. And, you know, everything that I've kind of uh, designed and built is sort of like uh, as much as I was capable of at the time. Um, so really pushing those boundaries of comfort. And when we're doing something out at our property in the Santa Cruz Mountains, we're going to have a bunch of friends come out. So on some weekend, all these friends are going to come out and we're going to do a wall raising for a cabin and it all has to go well. We need to have all the parts there. We have all the people. Mm -hmm. We get one shot at this because I can't call you back out the next weekend to say, can we, you know, try this all over right. again? And in SketchUp, not only was I designing everything and sorting out that, but I was digitally building it. And I was digitally building it dozens and hundreds of times and problem solving along the way and realizing, oh, when this piece goes together and that piece goes together, it actually will block me from doing this. So I need to change my order of operations, um, stuff like that. So, so, so this, it's interesting that you, that you say that. So um, in what way were you building it hundreds of times in SketchUp. You mean because the way that you were designing it, you were designing it in the same order that you would build it? I'm not really sure, but- Sure. Like where, where did the hundreds of iterations come from? Where, yeah. Where SketchUp. Hundreds might be a bit of an exaggeration. Okay. We'll call it an even hundreds. Does, does, <laughs> let's say dozens. Yeah. Uh, so in the iterations of, so, Let's take our cabin, for example. Oh, yeah. so actually, you sent me um, a little picture, a little movie. So yeah. maybe I think I can maybe um, get that uh, sure. up here. And uh, that might help people, at least who are watching, see what we're talking about. Um, uh, okay, here. And I think I can play this. Should be able to. Yeah. So there it goes. So that was a little A-frame that we recently built um, post fires. This was our uh, cabin that burned down in uh, 2020. I'm sorry to hear that burnt. Oh, it happens. Some tree decks where we had a wood-fired hot tub and some benches and um, 
yeah, that was all in a redwood grove. And so we had to map that entire grove to kind of build that out. Uh, a little outdoor shower. Um, that was Shisugi Bond redwood with a cedar um, slats that you were standing on. Uh, hot water from an Ecotemp water heater. A little bit of a pavilion there. So, so, okay, so we got, we got it, we got a sense of yeah. that. Then. Um, so you're wondering like, you know, where, where do all those, um, how are you building it digitally so many times? Right. So taking the cabin, for instance, at first in just trying to work out what is the design of this cabin, you know, I go through a couple of dozen different basic designs, but then I start to settle in on, this is the design that we're going to build but I have to refine it. Got to figure out exactly where your doors and windows are going and how you're, uh, I had some functional timber frame elements inside of a stick frame. How does that all go together? So I started building it, you know, two by four by two by four inside there. And in the course of building it, I figure out, oh, I got to change this or change that. But, you know, it's all starting to come together, that order of operations. And I keep revising it until I've kind of worked out all those kinks. So at that point, you've got a few dozen times that I've kind of deconstructed and rebuilt this thing to iron out the, the problems. But even then, once it's sort of finalized, I'm just, because I'm obsessive, but also because I want things to go well, because you know we're up in the, the sticks, so we have to get you know mm. all the lumber delivered, all the materials there, all the people there, it's gotta go. It's an orchestrated event that's gotta go um, well, because it's hard to, you know, get a repeat mm -hmm. performance. So now I'm just playing with the digital model. I'm peeling back layers. I'm putting it together. I'm thinking through the order of operation in a way that navigating in 3D space and looking at it and moving the parts around is just different than doing it on paper. Um, so there's a, you know, couple, few dozen times of building it just in ironing out all the details and then a few dozen more of just playing with it just because I can practice digitally and figure out the exact flow of what I need people to do, where the fasteners will go, um, you know, ooh, we should put a rigging line here. Here's where this can go wrong. Here's where that can go wrong. Um, it's just, if you're like me and you don't have full confidence in this project you're about to embark on because it's pushing the limits of what you've done previously, the opportunity to practice it digitally before doing it in the real world is indispensable. Wow. I, I had never really thought of it. Um, are you aware of other people using SketchUp in that same way of kind of, I should say, of, of rehearsing the build? Um, is that a common thing or is that just kind of your little innovation? I'm sure there are people doing it. Um, the only example I can think of, and I haven't talked with him explicitly about it, is um, there's a friend of mine who's a designer builder, uh, Tom Bonamici. Um, and I took a timber framing workshop from him some time ago, and he's taught a few of them. Mm -hmm. He designs those timber frames in SketchUp, and there's very much an order of operation to assembling a timber frame. Uh, and I have to imagine that when he's thinking all that through so that he can instruct the students in a way mm -hmm. that will, you know, make it seem like he actually knows what he's doing, mm -hmm. he's probably practicing that um, looking uh, with the SketchUp model. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, uh, I haven't spoken with anybody explicitly about it. Right. I know, I mean, just from watching YouTube, I know there are people who use SketchUp for furniture making. Yeah. And um, occasionally they will talk about uh, discovering something in trying to design it that informs how they would wind up building it in terms yeah. of things that, that didn't work. Um, particularly if there were moving parts, like, mm -hmm. you know, 
so I guess I, I don't know SketchUp that well, but I guess you can put hinges in the hinges can swing. I mean, is, is that, is that I think correct? that's possible, but if I'm being honest, I haven't actually done that. Okay. Um, I'll put a, I'll swing a door, um, but kind of manually to check clearances, uh -huh. but I haven't done anything as I've done things very granular in the building sense, you know, down to every layer of uh, construction uh, on a building, but I haven't really gotten um, in furniture right. building down to, you know, hinges and those sorts of clearances. Right. The, the one advantage of, of SketchUp in building things like this is that um, you can, it's much easier to accommodate the fact that everything does have a thickness, right? I mean, yes. you know, part of, the, part so. of the, the first lesson for most people designing things on paper is that, you know, uh, yeah you know plywood has a thickness and um you can't just have a, a line there you've actually have to have it have a thickness and that, sure. that difference over i mean an easy example of this is um you know if you were building a little tiny shed that had you know four by eight plywood um like that t111 kind of uh, fake siding plywood you know they're four feet by eight feet so you might think okay i'll make my shed mm -hmm. eight feet long but the plywood has to overlap on each corner and that's a half inch. So really your framing is, you know, uh, a half inch shorter than eight feet. Um, so yeah, like those little tiny things, um, they come into play and uh, it's nice to work it out from the comfort of, you know, my computer right. before actually trying it. And so you said you used the, um, the SketchUp 2017 free version. Is, yep. is that, is it mostly because it's free or there, are there other advantages to that? Um... It was entirely because it's free. Uh, okay. and it's just one of those things that I've, I've sort of coasted by on inertia. Uh -huh. um, it would probably do me well to explore the paid versions and to maybe even see um, now that I've gained some experience in SketchUp to see right. what other programs are available. But the reason I'm talking about it here is I gravitated towards it because it was very attainable. It's right, free. Right. There are YouTube tutorials. There's nothing stopping me from just downloading yeah. it and seeing what it's like to design my gazebo in that right, instead right. of on a piece of paper. I tried to design our the recent house in SketchUp knowing zero, and man, that was very frustrating. And the the, yeah. the tip that I got was to begin with a top view only mm -hmm. for designing the house, um, just as a as a one dimension or as a single dimensional thing, just, just a top view down sure. like a plan and then work from there. That was helpful, but not sufficient because man, I it was very, uh, I don't know. I, I find it kind of overwhelming to, 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 to do it, but um, I maybe would suggest people not start with trying to design a house first. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I mean, my suggestion, uh, the top view down is very important. Navigating in 3D space is just difficult and there's a steep learning curve to it. Um, we do it fine in the real world, but on a computer, it's very tricky. Um, there are tutorials you can follow on YouTube that'll kind of help. Um, you can also download existing models. And I found uh, along the way that it was very helpful for me to get somebody else's cabin or building mm -hmm. and to just take it apart and play with it instead of designing from scratch. Um, mm -hmm. And that helped in kind of understanding um, those things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You know. Well, great. That's been really, really, really fantastic. I think it's a SketchUp is, but like a lot of softwares, it's sort of um, can be a black hole in terms of the more powerful it is, the steeper the learning curve, Yeah, you know, um, but there, there is huge power in it. And, and the fact that there's free versions is really great. 
So thank you. So let's, um, Jeff, talk about your recent project, a book about tools. Tools. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about, tell me about this. Give me your little um, morning TV show pitch. What is this about? And um, (laughs) why do people want it? Tools uh, is a book that chronicles uh, a little over 500 tools that you would commonly find, semi-commonly, in the home, shop, garage, that sort of thing. So it's got screwdrivers and hammers and welders and milling machines. Um, One thing that I found lacking in a lot of the other books that are out there is that they tend to focus on the home woodworker. Uh, and those sorts of hand tools, the romantic version of uh, woodworking, hand planes and stuff, um, or they're very specific to metalworking. I couldn't find any comparable books that were as broad as I wanted that to be, um, where you know you'll find a, a heat gun and a you know a come along hoist, right. um, you know milling machine. I'll, so right. what I tried to do here's saws. Yeah. Both the hand saws, reciprocating saws, jigsaws, miter saws. Yeah. So to me, there's, um, you know, in this very uh, vast world of tools, there is uh, a lot of commonalities between things, but it's all, it's hard to put those puzzle pieces together to kind of figure out that map of it. And a lot of tools relate to one another. In some cases, one version of a tool is just kind of like this other thing, but a little bit different. Um, But if you don't have the language for it, it's very hard to go out there Mm -hmm. asking informed questions or to go and kind of do the the Googling that you would want to do. So what I was trying to do was just to create a map of this is the world of tools. Um, It is sort of unendingly vast so I you know can only go so deep but I wanted to put together enough of the broad strokes pieces so that if you don't know a lot about them you can look in there find the thing that you're looking for and start going down a deeper rabbit hole of investigation Um, and then in terms of a value for you know if somebody uh, might already have a pretty deep knowledge if they're woodworking or they're metalworking or whatever it is um, there's a good amount of uh, historical anecdotes, uh, anecdotes, um, just trivia, some weird esoteric tool variations that folks might not have heard of. Um, Just uh, a lot of little odds and ends that would hold the interest, I think, of uh, those who are even a bit more seasoned. Right. So um, I am a big advocate for, you know, these kinds of surveys of tools because I consider them, each one of these is a possibility. And knowing that the tool existence is there can often ignite an yeah. idea in you or confidence in trying something. Um, and um, maybe later on when you have, you confront a problem, you'll think of a solution. Oh, I think there's sure. a tool for this. I remember reading it in Jeff's tool book. And yeah. so, um, uh, and, and the, there are a lot of jobs that, sort of can't really be done unless there's a tool. Recently, for the very first time, I pulled some bearings off of a motor. Well, there's a bearing pulling tool <laughs> yeah. that you need. There's really no other way to get them off yeah. intact without this tool. And it's like, 
well, you kind of have to know that that kind of exists and you may never need it, but it's good to know that, that it's there. And that kind of a general sense of what's available is sort of what your book is doing. Well, you know, planting that seed and letting you know something exists. I mean, that was a core tenant of cool tools and the whole earth catalog right. for so long. Right. Right. And I've, that's a lot of what I wanted to impart into this was um, both from, uh, you know, folks I've worked with who knew more than me and from a lot of the stuff that you've written or right. been a part of, I have had so many moments over the years, that aha moment where somebody, they just tell you a thing exists and you yeah. didn't know it existed until that moment. And you're like, oh yeah, of course, yeah. I don't need that right now, but boy, is that good to know about. Right. right. Um, so I tried, I mean, I was just racking my brain when I was writing this, trying to distill all of those little aha moments and to pack as many of them into there as possible. And there's, you know, in, in writing about the tools that I wrote about in there, a lot of times uh, I'm making it a point to just mention that this version of a thing exists, um, just because to, to even know that it's out there is huge. And for an aspiring maker, somebody who works with their hands, mm -hmm. those trips down that book or the literal trips down right. the, the aisle in the hardware store where you see a thing and you're like, oh, right. bearing right. polar. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. That's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, one of the things is, yeah, this book is sort of um, a survey of the, um, it's kind of like a taxonomy of, of tools. It's all the varieties and species. You yeah. don't actually make uh, specific recommendations of a particular brand. Generally or, not. Generally not. Yeah. And um, because it, they're, change, they're going to change so fast, right? I mean, it's like... They're going to change so fast. I I make mention of a few standout models that seem to be stalwarts that have just been around for a long time. Such as what? Can you give an example of that? Uh, yeah. Um, like um, uh, Bridgeport milling machine. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, I mean, you know, people are still looking for, you know, bridge ports that are 60 years old to use today. Right. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of standout brands or models that I'll, I'll make mention to, but by and large, it doesn't matter too much. You don't know if they're going to be around. Um, cordless battery power tools are ubiquitous these days, and I, I own a ton of them. But the truth is, um, especially among pro-grade models, uh, if anyone has an allegiance to a certain brand, it really speaks more to an investment in their battery ecosystem than it right. does their performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Something I advocate for in the book anyway is, um, you know, if you're going to buy a tool, um, buy the cheapest one you can get your hands on. Like if you think that it might have a use to you, you can get them dirt cheap. Try it, use it, break it, see how it goes. And then like, depending on what you learn, you can start looking down the road yeah. at the deep, deep hole of, you know, what's the best version of this. Right, right. I, I concur 100%. I'm a huge fan of Harbor Freight for that very yeah. reason. You can get, and, and often the Harbor Freight thing will survive and do what you want to do as infrequently as you're doing it for most yeah. of your life. If you get to the point where you um, need better and are using it, you move up. It's But Harbor Freight are often a fantastic bargain. Oh, yeah. Even though they're, they're you know, way below the, the premium quality, they're adequate for a first step. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think a problem for uh, many folks, myself included, is you start thinking, you know, and I write about this in the intro to that book, I need a nail gun. 
well, what's the right nail gun? What's the best nail gun? What, you know, what are, what does it mean that it fires a nail at this speed or this pressure, this angle? And you get bogged down in so much of that, you go, well, I don't think I'm going to buy any nail guns because it's just, it's too weighty of a proposition. (laughs) But if you just say, screw it, and you go to Harbor Freight and you're like, just, you know, you just grab the cheapest thing that's on the wall, just get it, buy it, use it, and then learn from there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I concur. I think it's fantastic advice. Um, and, um, or uh, another one too, which I also recommend if you can do it is, is like when you have an invitation to use one or borrow one, um, you know, like, like you were talking about organizing some friends to come over and do something will provide, presumably you'll have tools that they have never used before. And so this mm-hmm. is a chance to try some tools out. That's yeah. another great way to see whether this is even going to work for what you want it to do. Yeah, completely. Um, and, and by the way, this is a whole side thing. A cool tool trick is renting tools. Yeah. Go to home Depot. Tool libraries. Or tool libraries, but look at the tools that you can rent and the thing is, is that most contractors often rent these tools because yeah. they don't need them that much, that often. But you can rent amazing things and amazingly specific things, you know, that, that you like um, a tile saw, you know, a, yeah. a wet saw for cutting bricks or whatever, which you, you would never think of doing. But yeah, yeah you can get a, a saw that does that and rent it for a day or half a day. Right. Um, there are amazing things for rent. Yeah. And I mean, and when you consider, especially something like a tile saw, the frequency that you're probably going to use it, renting starts to make a lot more sense. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, what else? Do you have any other kind of general tips besides start cheap and work up from your journey into the world of tools that you might tell people? Um uh, general tips, uh, starting cheap and working up is absolutely uh, a big one. Um, I like the borrowing, um, go to a tool library. And I think what both of those kind of boil down to is just actually doing the thing, right. um, you know, kind of taking this back a, a half step back from tools to building. I've had so many people who have come out to our property and said, Oh, you know, I'd love to have something like this, but I can't do it. Well, neither could we. Like we just started with the picnic table and you kind of build up some confidence and skills and you learn how to use the one tool and then you go from there and you do the next thing. And I think that it's really important to put one foot in front of the other and actually learn by trying and a little trial and error than to get too bogged down with the proposition of the big picture that might just kind of stymie the whole process. Um, So that's sort of, um, I don't know, a core ethos for me. Uh, And then... Mm, I don't know, taking care of your tools, borrowing tools from uh, friends, you know, making use of that kind of larger community resource. I think there's a little bit too much of everybody uh, attempting to buy their own thing when, you know, folks can share stuff. I'm a big fan of lending tools to friends. Hopefully they come back in one piece. (laughs) And are you, um, have you went up in YouTube for learning how to use tools? Yeah. um, I like YouTube for learning. Um, some decent books out there. Um, YouTube's good for the learning by doing, which I'm a very uh, big proponent of. There's a certain oh. basic set of, of skills for, for using tools, and particularly power to- tools, but occasionally there's a certain degree of um, 
things that you kind of want to know with power tools in particular because of safety issues. Um, yeah, but, and I mean, I obviously there's a caveat to that in terms of, uh, you know, you want to be brazen enough to learn some things and not get too, uh, you know, held back by the uh, the fear of, you know, doing it, but you also don't want to lose any fingers in the process. Right. Um, right. So a little bit of guidance uh, goes a long way. There are, I'm sure there are many cities, but here in Oakland, uh, we have the Crucible and there's a couple other places you can go where you can take classes. Um, I actually took um, a gift from my now wife, uh, a welding class over there that was a sort of, it was like a cheese tasting of welding. You know, we did a little bit of TIG and a little bit of stick and a little bit of MIG. Um, so taking a class at a local makerspace to learn the basics of how not to injure yourself before, you know, embarking down the road of a, a more right. involved self-taught journey, I think is right. really important. I mean, I took, I took a timber framing workshop some years ago. And the truth is I haven't used a whole lot of that timber framing, but I was around a bunch of people who knew tools and we were doing a lot of little auxiliary work and there's a lot of little safety tips um you know job site uh safety just all those little nuggets of wisdom on how to stay safe while you're working with these things that are powerful mm -hmm. and building things so taking classes and workshops and just soaking up as much of that as you can frankly yeah. just soaking it up period i mean not to pimp my book too hard but a book like that any other books like that taking a walk down the trip of the hardware store and walk down the aisle to just really soak up what exists there, what you have available to you, what options there are. Cause I think the more that you kind of build that network in your head right. of those best practices, um, how things kind of all connect together, right, right, right. the more you can fill in those pieces and you're a little bit less likely to hit an impasse down the road where you go, I don't know what to do from here, or I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself because yeah. you've kind of built up a foundational knowledge. Yeah. In fact, that's a good analogy of where your book is. It is, it is like walking through a big box um, store in the tool section and having you say, well, here's what you do with this one. This one's yeah. over here. This is pretty good. And you'll need both of these if you have that one. So um, it's, a, it's the guide to the tool section of the store. So thank you, Jeff, for this book. Um, by Chronicle Books, I believe, and um, uh, recently released um, a wonderful ultimate guide to tools, hand tools, and power tools. Yeah. So thanks for being on the show and Absolutely. showing and sharing your um, favorite tools. Um, and we'll see everybody um, in a week. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel we're, we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can, 
deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, uh, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they're also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We will respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you to this week's patrons, which include Sari Willis, Jamie Ehrman, Brian Brooks, David Ragger, Allison Pescosolio, John Hobson, Alan Lawson, Bill Patrick, Chip Riggs, and John Paul Bosoli. Thank you all. <laughs>